You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. We're going to get right after it. I didn't know how long that take would take. I wanted to make sure we gave it enough space so we could have that conversation, but uh, we do have a message on faith this morning. We've been going through a sermon series from the Old Testament into the birth of Jesus is how we'll finish in the next couple weeks uh, on what faith tangibly looks like. And it was just something that was uh, on my heart because sometimes when you have your own issues, you bring them to the pulpit, just transparency. And something that I was sensing is, man, I, I need a greater faith in my life as a leader. I need a greater faith in my life as a believer. And, uh, and I started preaching through some of these stories, it started with Ruth, and I thought, man, we just need to stay on this theme of faith. And so we've been doing that and kind of inching closer to the New Testament, and today we find ourselves in the life of this character named Daniel. And we're preaching him here, and Micah's preaching him downtown. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel 6. We're gonna move fast, and uh, we're gonna get right after it. But just a little backstory. Uh, Hopefully you know this story already. Most of you will but we wanna give it some context because I think there'll be some things in it that you have maybe never heard and there's something that God has specifically put on my heart to share with you that I think is for us all to walk in and leave here this morning. And so just a backstory, Daniel is a great young man of faith who turns throughout the book to an old man of faith. We see a chronological order of his life where he goes from a teenager to now by chapter six, Daniel's serving the Lord for around 70 years. He's in his 80s or 90s. And the story behind the story is that you can be faithful to God when you have a great faith in God. Daniel is a beautiful example of what it looks like to follow God no matter what life throws at him. And so he is a leader amongst leaders. He's worked for different kings, different empires. He's seen it all. He's seen devastation. He's seen God working despite all odds. And he follows God no matter what. And so he's now working for King Darius by the time you get to chapter six of Daniel, but he had already been working for a really corrupt guy named Nebuchadnezzar who was overthrown. And Daniel chapter six is the famous story of Daniel in the what? Who knows? In the lion's den. Who's heard the story? All right, we're gonna get a little more graphic with it than maybe you heard in Sunday school. Now that Tina's already out of the building. Uh, So there are some things in here. There's one thing specifically that for whatever reason I never quite caught, and I'll get to that later. Hopefully I'll remember to go back to that. Uh, But I'm gonna paraphrase some of this. Daniel chapter six, verses one through nine. Here's what's going on. It is incredibly political. And so if you hate politics, just know they've always existed. In fact, they've always had the capacity to be corrupt because it's man's attempt to usurp power. And today in this story, about 2,500 years ago, there's no exemption. Daniel starts with Babylon, but now he's working for King Darius. Darius comes in, he's a part of the Median Persian Empire, most powerful empire in the world, and he does something right away. He wants to establish law. And he finds the best and the brightest. Daniel's not a rookie at this point. He's already been working in the local government. He likes Daniel, he sees what Daniel's about, He sees his intelligence, he sees his character, he sees his wisdom. Anyone in here in the 80 category? Anybody in church this morning? Right, you you have a very clear purpose, you have wisdom to offer. Daniel has just that. 
And so he gives them uh, the promotion of all promotions. Anyone ever got a job promotion before? How many of you know, like, sometimes you get that job promotion and not everyone that doesn't get the promotion loves you? It's never happened to me, but I imagine some of you, I mean, I've never really been promoted. I guess I promoted to this job, which is a pretty good job, but um, I started doing this at a very young age. And so I remember that culture that when I, even when I was in counseling, which you would think would be counterintuitive, like, how could you get mad at a counselor for being promoted if you're another counselor? You do, right? That's just the sin of man. And so that's what's going play, taking place in Daniel chapter 6. There are these mid-level managers known as satraps, 120 men, kind of district court guys, mid-level rulers. Daniel works his way right past them. There are three, you know, there are three men of power over the 120 men of mid-level power. And Daniel gets this promotion where even though he's not a part of the system because he's a, a Jewish guy who's really a foreigner to the land, he gets this promotion and the grumbling starts. And then to make things worse and think in terms of he's kind of the chief justice of the Supreme Court. There are three of them. I know there's more than that in America. There are three of them. And then the Bible says that Darius likes this guy so much, there's an excellent spirit in him that he promotes them to be the top dog of the three of the 120. And so there is this grumbling that's taking place. Not everyone's happy about Daniel's success. And there's a lesson to be learned right out of the gate that when you follow God, you don't even have to be aligned necessarily with the people that you're around. When you follow God, there are times when people that don't even love God take notice of your character and you can actually work within the ranks of a system and do good things in a corrupt culture. And so they're filled with jealousy and they do what so many people have done before them, so many people have done after them. They start setting up this ruler named Daniel. And so they're contriving this plan. They know that Although they try to find fault in him, there's no fault to be found, which here's what's amazing about that reality. Anyone follow politics? What happens when someone runs for office? They, they dig up everything, even your favorite players. It's like, well, I didn't know this, I didn't know this, and I didn't know this, and I hope that's not true, right? Everyone has baggage. I don't care who you are. And they're trying to find, this guy's 80, 90 years old, they're trying to find blame in him, and they say to themselves, there's nothing that we can do, there's no wrong that he's done, he's been godly since the time he was young. And so then the light bulb moment goes off in their head, they say to themselves, well, let's flip that around and make that the very thing we accuse him of. And so they go to a prideful king who loves Daniel, but is blinded by his own pride, and they say to him, basically, they set him up. They stroke his ego a little bit, and they say to the king, you know, king, it would probably be a good idea, I'm gonna paraphrase all of this, and you can read between the lines and read it for yourself, but this is what I think they're really saying. It would probably be a good idea now that you're centralizing this governmental structure to bring all the pieces together and have everyone aligned and just worship you for the next 30 days. Now, here's the setup. They know Daniel, who's at the top of the food chain, will never commit to that process. And so they say, you know, King, everyone really, if we're gonna be a real government here, should only follow you, should only worship you, should only pray to you. And so just as a little side caveat, and they're going, you think this is a good idea? He's going, yeah, it sounds like a pretty good idea. You know, 30 days, I could be worshiped for 30 days. You think this is a pretty good idea? Yeah, I think we can run with that. As a side caveat, anyone who doesn't fall in line, anyone, I don't care if you like them or you hate them, 
If anyone doesn't fall in line, then we're gonna open up this little thing called a lion's den and they're gonna devour them limb from limb. And the king in his pride, not seeing through the story behind the story, agrees. And according to the law of the Medes and Persians, once you sign something into law, even if you are the all-powerful genie, you have no ability to retract. And so because he does not get the right information with the right motive, he signs this thing into law and the stone is rolled over the lines and later in the story, there's nothing they can do about it. It's all put into place. And now he's gonna find out what he did. He's gonna find out the devastation of what he did. But the first person to find out is gonna be this old man named Daniel who is following God no matter what and he's stubborn as all get outs. He's gonna just do what he's been called to do. And that's one of the beauties of being in your 80s and 90s is that you have this mentality. Look at verse 10, we're gonna read it together. And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. Now look at what he does because he is the staple of faith. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And you have to underline this. This is what God's putting on my heart for you. This is what we're gonna walk in this morning. Underline this next statement. I'm gonna read it again. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as, underline it, as he had done previously. How long had Daniel been praying three times a day? How long had he been keeping the structure and culture of prayer in his leadership? Year after year after year after year. And so he gets this bad news. We'll come back to it because this is the meat and potatoes of it. He gets this bad news and look at me. Nothing changes. How many of you can say that in your own life? When the ball drops, when the rug's pulled out from under you, nothing changes in your life. I wish I could say that. Daniel can say that. Verse 11, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and pleading before his God. They already knew he was gonna do it. They knew what he was about. And then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den as if they didn't know the answer? How many of you have met people like this? They're nauseating, right? They're setting him up. They've got him by a technicality. The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law and the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. So now they set him up further and they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Oh, I, I, I think I remember you saying somewhere in this law that no one would pray to anybody but except for you. And you remember that guy, Daniel, that you think is so great that you've elevated above us and then above us once again to give him this ultimate power position? This guy that you trust, this guy that you love, well, he, I don't know if he's deaf or if he has wax in his ears, but he decided not to listen to you. What, what should we do about that? I mean, there are weasels and then there are weasels. These guys are slimy. And then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. And he set his mind to deliver Daniel and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. He's living with a leadership ulcer. And he's racking his brain, what can I do? 
He realizes how stupid he's been and that there's nothing he can do about it. And then these men came by agreement to king and, to king and said to the king, now, O king, that it is law of the Medes and the Persian that no injunction or ordinance that the king has established can be changed. And then the king commanding that Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid down on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of the Lord's and nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And then the king went to his palace with his ulcer, that's me. The king went to the palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and slept fled from him. Anyone have sleep issues? Can you kind of insert yourself in this storyline? Isn't it always worse when your biggest fear isn't that you're putting your own life at risk? Any parents in the room? It's when you know that you've affected somebody else and that's the ulcer that he's living with. And I, I don't even know all the options that Daniel has in this storyline, and this is me just projecting a little bit, but I think he has a few. I think they're pretty practical, right? One is he didn't have to pray three times a day. Maybe he could have justified to himself, I have followed God no matter what. In all of his justification, he could have said, I, it is so important it is so important that I stay in this position of leadership that I think God will give me a pass if I take a month's break and just don't rock the boat. But he decides that's not a fair strategy. Or because the king loves him and the king already knew what he was about, I imagine if he would have gone to the king in fear, maybe the king would have helped him behind the scenes escape from this scenario. Maybe he could have fled. I heard one guy say maybe he could have killed himself. Maybe he could have just justified, well, if I'm gonna die anyways, I think it's better not to die by being ripped from limb to limb. It could be quicker, it could be easier. But hear me when I tell you this. Do you know the story? We just read it. He does the exact same thing that he's always done, and that's what godly character looks like. Over and over in the narrative of his life, the king's distressed, the king's up all night, Daniel, I don't know exactly, but I imagine he's either praying or sleeping like a baby because that's just what Daniel does. When you don't have the Lord at the center of your life, you'll always be driven by fear. And look at me when I tell you this. There's a little counseling piece. You'll always be driven by self-preservation because that's how trauma works. And so the king is driven by not only self-preservation, but racking his brain to try to think of what he can do, how he can accomplish this mess that he's created in a different direction and, and see things happen. And Daniel is just, he's just praying before the Lord. He's just doing what he's always done. And so there's a few things. One I'm gonna go through real quick. One I'm gonna camp out on because I think the second one is worth the price of admission. There's a few things that I want us to learn from Daniel. The first thing is this. Daniel had a public faith and he never worried about the results. This is how public his faith was. When it's time to pray three times a day, he does so in a way that everyone would have had to have seen it. He opens up his windows. And the Bible says that his house is elevated so that everyone can see him. This is a death wish. He doesn't just say, you know, I'm gonna pray and hope I don't get caught. He opens the windows and because he's elevated, when you open that window, it's like on the you know, eighth or ninth floor of the hotel, everyone's looking at him and he, he's cooked. But he does so in a way where he says it's, it is time, and he's always done this, it's time to make no excuses and to make my faith made public. 
He has this Esther mentality that we covered last week. If I perish, I perish. Easy to say, hard to actually implement, especially when you have already seen other people die at the hands of a ruthless killer who sends people to lions. Make no mistake, because of his position of power and because this was not that uncommon as a way to die in this time period, he's already seen how devastating it is when a guy you just talked to has a limb across the room with tendons being pulled from it. I mean, is that too graphic? He, he knows what this would have looked like. And he goes to bed. Second thing is this. Th- this one is where we all need to walk together, at least according to my own prayer life, preparing this message. And I want you to write some things, just a, a comment down. The second idea is this about his life. Daniel's prayer life shaped how he handled hardship. Daniel was doing stuff before things in his life hit the van. That's the G-rated version of that statement. Daniel was already doing things in his life before it hit the fan that allowed him to deal with the crisis when it came. And here's what I want you to write down, and here's where if I'm just gonna put a mirror in front of myself and preach this message, I have to admit, I fail big time with this one. But here's the statement that I want us to walk in today, that we don't walk away without remembering this statement. Prayer before the crisis is preparing you to follow God in the crisis. Very simple, but, but write it down on your, and, and, and print it on your mind, write it down on a piece of paper, whatever you need to do. I'm gonna say it again. Prayer before the crisis is preparing you to follow God in the crisis. All that prayer is, is talking to God. It's simply talking to God, communicating his plans, communicating your heart. Consistent prayer is positioning God in our life to be who God already is. It is intimately connecting us to the fact that he is sovereign over us. But what's so critical about that, and maybe for you, you're like, well, I already knew that. That's not a big deal. Well, then just wait a few more minutes. We're going to close this thing out. And you can leave and say, wow, that was a waste of my time. For the rest of us who struggle, for the rest of us who struggle, there is a word here in how Daniel lived his life. When you consistently tell God who he is in your life, how much you love him, how much you trust him, how good he is, how beautiful his plans are, you are positioning yourself to handle hardship because when it actually comes to the crisis, if you wait until then, you might not be happy with the results. And so the reason I bring all that up is putting my own life on display, my own anxiety, my own lack of confidence in God actually being God in my life sometimes. Here's what I do that I know you're too spiritual to do. But here's what I do. What I do is I cruise, and sometimes my prayer life is great, and sometimes it looks a bit anemic, but I cruise, and then crisis comes. Are you, are you tracking with this? Maybe this is your story. And then when crisis comes, I go to God in an absolute frenzy and angst, and a ping pong ball in my head of thoughts is just shooting all over my brain. Anybody? I am so glad that you are so spiritual that that has never happened to you. In my own life, what I've come to realize is that if I really wanna be spiritually mature, then I have to look like Daniel and my prayer life has to activate long before the pain arrives. 
That's the successful mentality of this great man of faith named Daniel. That the reason that he can operate the way he operates is because before the lion's den ever presented itself, he was already going to the window, opening it up, getting on his knees, and going before the Lord three times a day. He had spiritual disciplines in his life that safeguarded him for the crisis that was to come. He was already being prepared by the Lord for the things that were going to take place. And so for that reason, I want you to take just a moment. I want you to put the parking brake on. I want you to put the car into gear and I want you to just sit here and nothing can move. And I want you to think about and evaluate your own prayer life. Does this represent how you deal with trauma? In the midst of your crisis, are you already prayed up knowing who God is, walking in the consistent spiritual disciplines of the Lord, that it doesn't necessarily rock you because you just do the same things that you've already prepared yourself for in the crisis? Or, or does your head explode and your emotions go haywire because the spiritual disciplines haven't been put into place? Where are you at with this issue of prayer? I'm gonna read verse 10 again. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, this would have been just a heart-sinking moment. He could have blame-shifted, he could have been angry at God, he could have been angry at the king. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Trauma creates in us, in our wiring, there's a hard wiring in our flesh. Trauma creates this selfishness that mandates self-preservation. And so if you don't have this foundation in who God is, communicating that with him, knowing his plans and purposes in your life, prayer before the crisis has to prepare you to follow God in the crisis. If you don't have that foundation, you're cooked. This is what drives the angst of the world that we live in. The king's living in fear, Daniel's living in the promises of God, and then the story continues, we see the good news. Then at the break of day, verse 19, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And so now the king's mind is blown in verse 23. And the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And then the king commanded those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and were brought and cast into the lion's den. Here's what I never really focused on before because you don't get it in Sunday school. There's actually worse in this storyline. The men get thrown into the lion's den. They, their children, and their wives. Who in here would just say, that doesn't seem very fair? The kids and you know, in third grade, running around at recess, they go round him up too. And before they reach the bottom of the den, this is the the devastating effect of these lions. They are killers. The lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones into pieces. Last thing I wanna share with you 
that this deliverance, a couple of thoughts really, it's not apparently for everyone. It's for those who follow the Lord in this storyline and in our spiritual storyline, the same thing is true. But this deliverance for Daniel comes in the den or from the den? So here's my question. Theologically, would God have been any less faithful if Daniel hit the den and was torn from limb to limb? You can answer that out loud. Would God have been any less faithful if, because that happens in scripture too, would God be any less faithful if he goes into the den, the stone is rolled before he hits the bottom, just like the other characters in the story, he is absolutely demolished in a physical sense. The reason that God would be no less faithful is because our deliverance isn't just in the physical, it's in the spiritual, and he would immediately go before the Lord because he followed God no matter what. He already had his fate sealed. He was either gonna be delivered in the den like he was, or from the den in the sense that it doesn't matter. When you follow Christ, you can't lose. And that's Daniel's real story. That he can have this type of prayer life because he knows that death has no real power over him. In a spiritual sense, Daniel has already been delivered. In the spiritual sense, if you're in Christ, the stories are already been written, you've already been delivered. You can walk in this mentality from last week that Esther says, if I perish, I perish, I can't lose because God has already done the work. This whole story pointing to Christ, pointing to this idea of spiritual deliverance, showing us that we can have faith no matter what, and a God who's always faithful because God does his work for those who love him. He has already set the path straight. They're looking to the future. We're looking to the past. Christ already went to the cross. Christ already rose from the dead. We can be in those dens, and those dens are coming. You're either going into a den, in a den, or leaving a den. Can you relate? You can be in those dens, and you can have faith no matter what because the story in the ultimate sense, has already been written. The same's not true for everyone in the narrative. Right? The gospel is, here's the good news, and here's the bad news. For those that set them up, they just represent a larger conglomerate of people that are all around us. For those who set them up, they go to the den and they get torn from limb to limb. Their children go to the den, their wives go to the den, their legacy goes to the den. They are absolutely destroyed and that sentence that was meant to destroy Daniel was inverted on themselves and they are the ones that are ultimately punished. This story has so many symbolic implications. One of them is just specifically to the men in church. It matters who you follow. It matters what you believe. It matters what you stand up for. If you stand up for this God who's the savior of the universe, who sent his son to die in your place, then there's a legacy that's developed. That the den spiritually is averted in your life and it's a promise for yourself and your wife and your children. But if you choose to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, because no one can hold you accountable, even God himself, then there will come a time in the here and in the later spiritually 100% of the time where your, not just your own legacy is on the line, but your family's legacy is on the line. It seems incredibly unfair that this family would be punished for what the men did. But hear me say this, it still happens today. 
Men who do not stand up for what God says is truth and love his son Jesus are metaphorically and symbolically, look at me, sending their children and their wives, their families to the lion's den. And some of you know what I'm talking about because it's happened in your life. There is a story that's greater than this story. It's the story of salvation and it's a story of personal transformation that we can get excited about things, here's the Kingdom Builders plug, about revamping our children's space and expanding churches in Peru and feeding people on Wednesday nights. We can get excited about that legacy as we stand up as families that are born again in this family here at New Life and say enough is enough, we're gonna stand up for what's right. We're gonna go to God no matter what. Our prayer life's gonna be established before the crisis ever hits and we are going to be a people that are living a legacy for the future. We're not sending our children and our wives, men, to the lion's den. We're gonna look like Daniel and we're gonna follow God no matter what. The last thing I wanna share with you is this. The story ends beautiful. Daniel's the second in command. He gets this position of power. He's used by God. But what I want you to hear, and every pastor that I've heard preach this sermon in the past month has said the exact same thing. Look at me when I tell you this. The story behind the story is this, that Jesus Christ is the better Daniel. He's not as good as Daniel, he's way better than Daniel. He's perfect. He is the better Daniel. Daniel and Jesus had a senior political leadership leader declare them innocent and faultless. They both had a leader that tried to spare them the death sentence. For him, it was Pilate. For Daniel, it was this king over him. They were both thrown in a pit in a sense and left for dead. They both had their pit covered with a large stone. They both had a stone protected with a government seal. They both had loving friends run to their tomb early in the morning. They both raised out of their pit and assumed a position of power over an entire kingdom. Daniel eventually dies. Jesus is the better Daniel. He never dies. Right? He, he, he goes to the cross, but three days later, he defeats death. He is the better Daniel in your narrative. He is the reason that you can have faith. He is not a hope in your life. He's the only hope you have for any type of eternity and any type of peace this Christmas season in the here and now. Jesus Christ is the better Daniel. And so for that reason, this Christmas, he is worth following one million percent. Do you know Christ in his crucifixion in his resurrection, have you put your faith and trust in him or are you headed to ultimate despair and destruction? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for this example of faith. We take a moment this Christmas with these icy roads and everything going on in our lives. I thank you for the people that, that made the commitment to show up to hear the gospel today. But we just take this moment and we worship you as king. I pray specifically for the men in church that we would not send our families to the lion's den to be destroyed, but that we would consistently stick to habits, spiritual habits of prayer and reading scripture and having great faith like Daniel, having great faith in you who died on a cross for our sins and rose from death so that we can have life. And we pray that this would create a legacy, not just for ourselves, not just for our families, but a legacy that would go out 
into this idea of kingdom builders for the entire community and even across the globe in Peru where we would say, it's not about us. We're gonna follow you no matter what. And we're gonna thrive in the den. We pray these things in your name and everybody said, amen.